0: With one of the church Bibles, if you want to turn to page nine hundred and sixty-seven, we're in Mark's Gospel, and we're going to read eight verses from chapter sixteen. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene. You know, fear is an emotion that all of us have from time to time, isn't it? It's something that can grip us in a whole different variety of ways. I had a friend who once told me of a trip. Um, He'd been up a mountain. I don't know whether it was quite this mountain, but this will do, for (laughs) the purpose of the illustration. And you walk down this path, and you came to the edge of a... See where that path ends, where that man is. And in order to carry on, you had to put one foot there, you then had to twist on that foot and go round to a path you couldn't see. That would put fear into me. You know, I get scared going round the dam. (laughs) That would do something quite different. Fear. Perhaps there's another type of fear. Years ago, I was travelling back from Glasgow. Um, I was being given a lift by a retired principal of a Bible college who had many abilities in life, but driving wasn't really one of them. And we ended up on the wrong side of a dual carriageway. We were literally doing that, and all these cars were coming towards us. I'd just about recovered from the fear of that experience when we decided to stop off. We were going down um, the M6. We were, thankfully, on the left-hand carriageway at this point. And we decided to stop off for a coffee, but he missed the turn-off. So he careered over the grass verge, up this slope, down the other side, and we ended up in the service station. Different type of fear. Another type of fear, ignore the cat, the cat's just there for cuteness value, it has no real purpose. But perhaps you've stood waiting for the postman to arrive, because you're fearful of exam results that are coming in the post. Or you're waiting for a bill that you're absolutely dreading. And fear grips you. You know, fear is an emotion that can easily grip us, isn't it? And when we think of Easter Sunday, when we hear the the songs and the, the readings of Resurrection... Perhaps fear isn't the first thing that springs to mind. Perhaps celebration or, or good news are the things that spring to mind. But actually, in this reading in Mark, fear is very much there. Because Mark starts his account of the first Easter morning with the end of the Sabbath. If you were here in church um, on Good Friday, or if you were in another church on Good Friday, you would have heard all the accounts of Jesus dying on the cross. Jesus dying with outstretched arms, taking the sin of the world on his shoulders. Dying so that he became our substitute. Dying the death that we actually deserve. But we know what's coming, don't we? We know that that isn't the end. We know that Good Friday is not the final word. But for these first followers of Jesus, they had no idea about that at all. They had watched Jesus die. They had seen the pain of crucifixion. They had heard him say the words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And within a week, you know, if you were here last week, we were celebrating Palm Sunday. There was the palms being waved. There was the shouts of Hosanna. There was people saying, Here is the King of Israel. And for this group of people, these women who'd walked to the tomb, within a week it had gone from expectation to the fear of nothingness. What is the left? What is there here? When I was born, and I guess all of us um, are exactly the same in this, you know, a baby is just a a bagload of potential, if you like. Um, You don't know what the baby's going to grow up to be. You don't know what life um, has for that person. But as you get older, as you go through school, you start to realize there are some things you can do in life and some things that you're not quite as good at and you, you have to put on one side. So by the time I was 14 and I'd taken my GCSE choices, I started to narrow down what I was... I knew I wasn't good at it. so sciences went quickly out the window. Maths, very quickly out the window. Languages went out the window. You're thinking, what can I actually do? <laughs> Doesn't leave much left, does it? And the older we go, the narrower those options seem to get down. You know, if you carry on with academic study, they always say you know more and more about less and less, Do you know a great deal about absolutely nothing at all. And life narrows. And as we get older, we can feel that opportunities are, are slipping away from us that actually that sense of hope that perhaps we had when we were younger starts to go away. You know, we cannot overestimate the despair that these ladies would have been feeling on Easter Sunday morning. Jesus, who had called Lazarus out of the tomb, Jesus who had healed the sick, was dead and cold in his tomb, or so they thought. He was buried. Nigel Wright, some of you may remember him. He's coming back to preach in a few weeks, so you'll see him again. He says this about the the, the changeover from Easter Saturday and Easter Sunday morning. He said, the end of Jesus, because this is what they'd have thought would have happened, is the end of God. And the end of God is the end of everything. Holy Saturday is therefore not a brief Sabbath to Passover, but a confrontation which is surely our greatest fear, that the world is truly godless and without hope a place of final emptiness and despair. The deadly depth of the tomb really is what it is all about. Without resurrection of Jesus, life just ends, doesn't it? Everything narrows down to that final point of the graveside of the tomb. And as we start chapter 16, we are in this place, it's this place of despair. Because I think that is the fear of every human being, isn't it? That death is the end. That that is the final thing. And that life is just the random bit we fill in between we're born and we die. And we do with that bit whatever we can. We pay our bills. We we pay huge mortgages for houses we hardly ever are in. You know, we pay all this money out for cars we hardly ever drive, and then eventually we tip off the edge at the other end. And it's devoid of purpose. You know, apparently human knowledge is is increasing every twelve months. It doubles. Every twelve months it doubles. I wish mine did, but apparently this is humanity as a whole. Yet yeah, for all the increase in knowledge, all the explanations of science, all the breakthroughs in medicine and computers we all still look terrified at the tomb. That is the place that can terrify us all. So Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, as soon as the Sabbath was over, they couldn't do anything on the Sabbath day. The Jewish Sabbath was a day of rest. But as soon as that day is over, they make their way to the tomb to do what they can in sort of memory of their dead friend Jesus. Jesus. They're not going to embalm Jesus, but they're just going to put spices near his body to make it smell a bit better. You know, decaying flesh isn't a good smell, so that they go and they take the spices to make him smell better. But actually, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, this is actually an unnecessary act because this has already been done. Mark chapter 14, we had the anointing at Bethany, where Jesus has said, I've already been anointed for my burial. And as we'll find out as this story unfolds, he doesn't need these spices. This is unnecessary. But they don't know this. They don't know what is going on. And they're walking down to the tomb, and they ask quite an obvious question. Who's going to move the stone away? They're not thinking about big philosophical things. They're not asking about huge questions of life at this point. They're just asking a very practical question. I don't know if you find in life, that actually, when you've been through a really tough time, sometimes all you want to do is something really practical. You can't cope with the big questions. You've know, you come away from that really stressful day, and you go home, and what do you do? you wash the car, you do some ironing, you have a cup of tea, whatever it is, you just do something really obvious. I wonder if that's what is going on here. Just an obvious question. But verses 1 to 3 is still all against this backdrop of the fear of nothingness. That there is no hope. That it's all gone. But in these verses, there is actually no Christian faith. Because the Christian faith is not a faith without hope. There is no belief here in the risen Jesus. You know, the sad thing is, is many people live life in Mark chapter 16, verses 1 to 3. A life that is actually devoid of any real purpose, of any real hope. You may actually be in that point today. You may be thinking, actually, when I think about my life, what hope does it have? It will all narrow down. It will just get to this point, And I have no answers for what comes afterwards. Or perhaps today, well, actually, yeah. You've encountered the risen Christ. You believe all the next bit, but to all intents and purposes, you're actually living like a practical atheist. Because that hope hasn't yet filled you with joy. It's not yet made its way down from your head to your heart. It's not yet sprung new life in you in an exciting way. Well, if that's you today, just hear what comes next. Because what comes next is incredibly exciting. Because we change from the fear of nothingness to the fear of excitement. Verse 4. They find the stone... Has been rolled away. Now we think, because we know what's coming, we think that's exciting. That's not particularly exciting for these women at this point. That's just more cause for, for other types of fear. You know, if I'm walking through a graveyard and I see that somebody's working on a tomb, my first reaction is somebody has risen from the dead. That is not my first reaction. That is not what I'd be thinking. I would have all kinds of other very logical explanations that actually some work's been done or or something has happened or all kinds of other reasons for why that may be happening. Because people in our experience don't rise from the dead. That isn't something we encounter. Now, I know there are parts of the world where Christians do encounter those kind of things. But in our experience, certainly not anything I've ever encountered. That is not the logical answer. In the ancient world, there was no expectation either that people would be raised from the dead. It just wasn't on people's agenda. So this is not as earth-shattering as perhaps it is to us. Well, let's keep going. Verse 5, something grabs their attention. A young man dressed in a white robe is sat on the side. Now we read this and we're thinking, oh, it's an angel. And yes, we'd be right in thinking that. But actually, look how Mark tells it. He tells it from the woman's experience. They're devoid of hope. They think Jesus is in the tomb. What do they see? They see a young man, and that's how they take it. But it's what this man says, what this angel says, is what actually changes everything. You know, there are times in life, aren't there, where somebody can say something to you, and it massively changes your experience? You know, those words like, you've gone to the doctor, you've been ill, and you suddenly get those words, it's all okay. You've got the all clear. Or you suddenly find out the post does arrive and the cat doesn't eat the mail. And you find that you've passed that exam. Or somebody offers to marry you. Or you get the job offer or whatever it might be. What happens here blows all those things out of the water. Verse 6. Just look at verse 6 if you've got a Bible in front of you. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene. That friend of yours, Jesus the Nazarene, the one you saw die on the cross, he's the one you're looking for. But then look. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Jesus, the one you were expecting to see in the tomb, dead and buried and cold and lifeless he is not here. Come and have a look. Come and look at the evidence. You know, if these verses are true, if these verses are history, this is the singular most important event that has ever happened to humanity. If Jesus rose from the dead, death is defeated, the grave is not the end, everything that Jesus said is confirmed by his resurrection, God is real there is a chance of forgiveness, there is a chance of new life, and we can have a hope that is beyond our wildest expectations. But how can we know this is true? How can we know that what Mark says here is true? Well, yes, ultimately, Christianity is a faith. You have to believe it. You have to come to God in repentance and faith and accept that Jesus rose from the dead. But I think we can back it up with quite a lot of evidence, actually. As you read the gospel accounts, we've only read one of them this morning, but there are four gospel writers. As you read each of those accounts, they are real accounts of real people. They tell stories that are very sort of down-to-earth. You've seen this morning, this is a very down-to-earth way of telling the story. But what they also do is they tell us of the first ripples, if you like, across a lake that the resurrection has of humanity. You know how when you throw a stone into water, you get that first circular um, thing where there's been the splash and then it gradually goes out? What we see here is, if you like, the stone has been thrown. Actually, it's been rolled away, but that's a slightly bad analogy. But it's been thrown, and then the ripples start to go out across the whole of humanity. Mark's Gospel was only written three decades after this took place. There were people still alive at the time when this was written. Who could have said, actually, Mark, this is a load of rubbish. You've got it wrong. They couldn't do that. Nobody could debunk what was said here. Because I believe it's true. The church grew in the coming years like wildfire. 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, verse 6. The Apostle Paul says this, after that, he appeared, this is talking about Jesus, to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are living, though some have fallen asleep. That was written about 20 years after the resurrection. 20 years. Now, for some of us, 20 years will seem a really long time. For some of us, 20 years will seem like yesterday. It's not that long time in the the history of um, humanity, really, is it? 20 years. 500 people had seen Jesus. Many of them were still alive. This could have been checked out at any point, and people did check it out. But the evidence trail continues, and it continues to this day. Today, this very day, this morning, there are billions of people around the world who are worshipping Jesus who physically rose from the dead. There are billions of people who can testify to the life-changing power of the risen Christ in their own lives. Verse 8, the women went out, they fled the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. You know, there is still fear here. It's a very different type of fear. I think I would have been fearful if I had gone to the tomb and heard that Jesus had been raised from the dead. But it's that kind of fear of excitement. You know, if God can do this, What does this mean? If God has done this, what does this mean for my life? If God has done this, what is the what next for us? As Jesus, the Son of God, rose from the dead, hope is reborn. You know, we no, no longer need to look at the grave as our final enemy. But we are called to look in fear and in trembling at Jesus, the Son of God, the one who has conquered death. And the one who today calls people to follow him, just like he called those first disciples, to come, to give our lives up, to follow him, and to have that hope of eternal life. Following him means that it's a life where when we, we turn our backs on our own way of doing things and when we accept what Jesus did on the cross for us, we can have forgiveness, we can have hope, we can have purpose. In just a few moments now, we're going to hear the stories of those people who were coming for baptism this morning. And that is really exciting because that's four very different stories, four different people who've all encountered the risen Jesus Christ. Romans 8, verse 11. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. What hope have you got for tomorrow? I don't mean literally the bank holiday. If we're talking about that, my hope is that the weather stays like this because we've got family coming round. But I mean on a slightly deeper level. You know, what hope have you got? Where does your hope lie? Is it in Jesus the conqueror of the grave, the conqueror of death and the powers of darkness? Or is it in your finances? Is it in your job? Is it in your relationships? Or is it in Jesus? So can I encourage you this Easter day to have a look again at the empty tomb to see who Jesus says he is and to be filled with hope, to be filled with unbelievable joy. If Jesus wants us to follow him, he calls us to follow him. He promises the gift of his Holy Spirit and he promises us eternal life. That incredibly famous verse from John 3, chapter 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever, whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the hope of the resurrection. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are surprised and overwhelmed by the hope that you can put into our lives. Lord, as you rose from the dead everything changes. I want to pray for each of us this morning that you will help us to take a fresh look at the empty team. To ask those biggest questions about the purpose and meaning of life and eternity. And Lord, I believe that you are at the centre of that. And Lord, as we move towards baptizing four people who have encountered you, I want to pray that their stories too will just unpack more of the impact that you're from the dead has and give us again that fresh hope and vision. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.